Today, once again, we have an opportunity to see halachic process, to see how the halachists work with, uh, with issues and, and with Gemorrahs, and how they extrapolate from, from the Gemorrahs what needs to be decided. And also we'll meet some of our old friends, and you'll start seeing that it's a, 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 a relatively small community of people. The Tanoim and the Amoroim, it looks very overwhelming. You go through the Gemara and you keep on meeting people. But after a while, you begin to realize it's a small, it's not a very big community of Amoraim and of Tanaim that we, that we deal with, that one can get one's head, head around them. And the same with the Rishonim. Um, there were many more than we, we have. We only, we only know the ones whose Sforim we have uh, or who quoted. Uh, and that's not a huge number of people. It's, uh, uh, it, it's manageable. And Achronim are obviously much more, but al- also these things are manageable, particularly when they're curated, particularly when you realize that it's not, you don't have to know them all. You, one, has to, one has to get used to the, the core of halachic development and, and who constitutes that core. And when you look at somebody like the, like the Beis Yosef, his parish on the tour, where he brings the sources for everything the tour brings, it's throughout Shulchan there are not that many different Rishonim that he quotes. He, there's a, he has, a, uh, he has a, a canon, he has a set of Rishonim that he, that he goes to, and that's what he uses. Um, and, and a lot of these people didn't have access to a lot of Sforim. Uh, a lot of them didn't, didn't, just didn't have the, 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 the volume that we have today. So our learning today is a different type of learning, partially because of the breadth of information that we have, which is a plus and a minus, of course, because we don't go to the same level of depth. Uh, but here you'll see that the, the key Rishonim start cropping up again and again, and we get to know them quite personally uh, as, as we do so. The halachic question is whether bone instruments, whether bone utensils are classified, and they used to do quite a lot out of bone and ivory and things like that. They don't do today. But you you might even remember your parents or grandparents might have had cutlery sets, sets of knives and forks with bone handles and questions of what to do with those. I remember my father used to get those shilas every Pesach. I don't remember ever having a shila, what to do with a bone handle. But they, they used to make things out of bone. And the question, and here we'll see the methodology again, where do you classify bone? Do you classify, because it's not mentioned specifically, so do you classify bone with metals that need cashering? Or do you classify bone with earthenware? Uh, sorry, but do you classify with metals that need cashering? Or, or do you classify them with earthenware that can't be cashered because they're so deeply penetrated with the, with the materials and the flavors that have been used in them? Uh, and, and so we extrapolate that from a, a Gomorrah that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, so just another example of how when you learn Gomorrah, you get used to having to think across the silos. You can't just think in a small, narrow area. You've got to, that's what Gomorrah does. And it, it helps you think across the silos and yet to think it with first principles of those silos. So what's the, the case? Here we have a Mishnah. That you've got to uh, burn the bones of the Korban Pesach and the sinews of the Korban Pesach and notar and anything which is left over that wasn't eaten by the next morning uh, need, to be, need to be burnt on the 16th, the day after Pesach. You can't, order, you can't burn it on the Yom Tov itself. If the 16th falls on Shabbos and so on, it goes on. So that's the subject of the Mishnah. The Gemara then says, Rabbi Yitzchak has a halocha, which is brought in Chulin. 
Atzamot Kodshim, now we're moving beyond Korban Pesach. In all cases of Kodshim, all sacrifices, the bones, Sheshimshu Notar, which have served Notar. Now Notar again is any meat which is left over till the time when the Korban is, can no longer be eaten. And Notar has to be burnt. You can't have any benefit from Notar. What about the bones? The bones don't count because they're not edible. So Notar is the edible part of the Korban, or, this, or the part that can be brought on the Mizbeach, that hasn't been consumed, either by the Mizbeach or by a human being, by the time, the, by, by time up, by the time the end of the period of the Korban. But bones are not edible. So bones don't become Notar. Okay? However, Rav Yitzchak says, Rav Yitzchak says, the bones have to be burnt if there's shimshu notar. What does shimshu notar mean? Says Rashi. Shenotar bahen moach. There's some marrow in them. Chutzlizmano, after the time. Veshimshuhu atzamot halalu. And they, the bones, contain that marrow. So the marrow is edible. So now you've got this, there's a bone left over afterwards. If it was just a dry bone, that wouldn't be a problem. But the bone, uh, but there's some marrow. Okay, so we get it. But what happens if the bones are dry? There is no marrow in them anymore. It's still a problem because sheshimshu notar. They served notar. What, is, what does that mean? Says the Gemara, ho'il v'na'aseh basis ledavar ha'asu. Now that's a concept we have in Shabbos. Basis ledavar ha'asu. Is, is the fact that if you've got a tray with your Shabbos candles on the tray, you can't move the tray. The tray is mukta because they've become, it's become a basis davar also. It's become a, the foundation of, a, of the stand, the, the container of something which is mukta. Here we use that same principle, but in a completely different area. So the bones now contained the marrow. The marrow became notar, so the bones became also because they're a basis davar also. That's why the bones, and now you have, even if there's no marrow in them, the bones themselves become notar. So there's an interesting question. Why, why do you have to come to that? Why should the bones not be notar? Because they've absorbed marrow. So we know the marrow is certainly notar. So again, you've got this korban. You've eaten a bit of it, the rest of it has been left, and time is now over, it's now notar. What becomes notar? Any edible part of the korban? That, was, that went over time. That's the meat for sure, and the fat and so on, and it is the marrow. What about the bones? <coughs> says, the, says the Gemara, says Rabbi Yitzchok. Well, the bones became a basis ledovar also. They served the marrow, they contained the marrow, and using that idea of a basis ledovar also, they also have, have to be burnt. They served notar. They themselves were not notar, but they served notar. The question I'm asking you is, why do you have to come to that? They've absorbed, they were cooked with marrow inside. Surely they absorbed the marrow? So for a Korban Pesach, that's not such a question, because a Korban Pesach is roasted. And you remember we had the idea of Kabbalah Kach that if you're on a fire, if it's roasted on an open flame, yes, there can be absorption, but if there's absorption, there's also expulsion. So the fat, the marrow might have been absorbed in the bone, but then it would have been expelled again, so the bones remain dry. But not all korbanot are brought, are, are, are roasted. And this particular statement of Rabbi Yitzchak says, Atzmot Kodshim, talks about all Kodshim. 
So even if it wasn't roasted, and we can't say kibola kachpolta, it seems we're not worried about the bones absorbing the marrow. We're not worried about that. The, the, uh, the bones are, are, have, are, are not, uh, not because of absorption, but because of basis ledover also. Based on that, the Ozarua Paskins. Uh, the Ozarua is an early Rishon. That now goes back to 12th century, just after Rashi's time. And the Ozarua wrote Shalas and Shuvas that are a very important part of Halacha. And the Ozarua writes, so you see from this that bones don't, don't absorb, because if bones absorbed, we would be worried about the absorption. We wouldn't have to worry about Basisla Davaraos. That's what the, the Ozarua says, which is a strong, strong proof. And he says that Rabbeinu Yechiel mi Paris. Do you remember Rabbeinu Yechiel mi Paris? Uh, Rabbeinu Yechiel from, from Paris passed the same way. Rabbeinu Yechiel mi Paris was really important, you'll remember, because he's the link to the, uh, to the Maram Rutenberg. He's the Rebbe of the Maram Rutenberg. The Maram Rutenberg is the link between the Baal Tosfot, of whom Rabbeinu Yechiel is one of the last ones. So Rabbeinu Yechiel mi Paris is a Baal Tosfot. End of the period of the Baalei Tosfus, the Rebbe of the Maram, of the Maram Rottenberg, who starts the period of the Rishonim of the Mephorshim and so on, after the time of Tosfus, and, and enters the whole Halachic period. And who, was, who were the great Talmidim of the Maram Rottenberg? The Rosh was one, who's the foundation of, of our Halacha, and the Mordechai. The Mordechai was also an important, is an important pillar of, of our Halachic thinking until today. The Mordechai and the Rosh, as, as well as many others, were Talmidim of the Maram Rutenberg. And you'll remember the Mordechai was also the son-in-law of Rabbi Chil, of, of Rabbi Chil mi Paris. Remember that? So now we've got Rabbi Chil mi Paris supports the view of the Ozarua that bone doesn't absorb because it did. That would be the issue here in, in our Gemara. So what does the Mordechai say? Now, the Mordechai says, yeah, that's what the Ozarua says, and that's what my father-in-law says, Om nam libi no but my heart trembles a little bit, says the Mordechai. So you get a bit of an idea, they come alive. Here's the Mordechai, and he's a young man, the Mordechai. He died in his 40s. He died al-Kiddush Hashem. He died, he was the robe of Nuremberg, and he died in these terrible pogroms. The end of the 13th century, I think it was, in Europe. Europe's land is soaked with the blood of Tzaddikim and Tzabideh uh, Chachomim and Poskim. And the Mordechai with his wife and children were all brutally murdered. Um, they say that his body was brought to Eretz Yisrael and is buried at the foot of Har- Harazetim. Remember I told you about the, the Rav Mibar Tunuro? And how he came to Israel and he became the Rov in Yerushalayim when there were only 70 families in Yerushalayim and he built up the Kehillah and he's buried at the foot of, um, of Harazesim and in that same cave is the Mordechai. The Mordechai was, was murdered as a young man. So he's a young man and it's Libi Nokef. You see the Yerushalayim. Libi Nokef. Anybody else would say fine. Orzaru says bone is fine. You know, a woman comes and says, what do I have to do with the bone? Ozaro says it's fine. That's, and my father-in-law also says it's fine. No, says the Mordechai. My heart trembles at the thought of saying that bone doesn't need to be kashed. Because in Pasha's clay Midian, where we learn all the dinim of kashering from, it says, Any cloth or leather and anything made from goats, 
and any wood should all be kashered. Says Rashi, what is anything made from goats? We've already said leather. Says Rashi, that includes bones, hoofs, and uh, horns, hoofs, and bones. So the Mordechai brings from a Rashi on Chumash that you see that, that bones need to be kashered. And therefore he says, I, I hold that that's, um, uh, that that's how it should be. And the Shulchanoruch Paskins, there are more Paskins in, in Tafnu and Aleph, in Echus Pesah, the Chen Kli Etzim Tzrichim Hagola. He Paskins like the Mordechai against the Orzarua and the, um, and, and the Rabbeinu Yechilmi Paris, that we do have to kasher bone. It can be kashered and we must kasher it. Um, so what does he do with the, with the Gemara? Why does the Gemara talk about, um, not mention that? Because the Gemara is talking not only about kochim that were cooked in the normal way, this is, this is Psochim, and we deal with it here. Clearly, this, price, uh, this, this, this statement of Rabbi Yitzchak and our Mishnah are talking about a Korban Pesach as well. And in a Korban Pesach, there's no question of absorption because of Kebola Kachpolta. That's how I understand the Mordechai. Otherwise, the Mordechai would have a problem with this Gemara. Though Zeru is right, look at the Gemara. The Mordechai, but the Mordechai, I would, I would suggest, learns this Gemara is talking also about Korban Pesach. That's why it says... The, the problem is basis le davar hasu. The problem is not is not belia, not absorption, because this is korban pesach is roasted over an open flame, and even if it's absorbed, it's afterwards expelled. But even by korban pesach, there's a problem with the bones, even if they're dry, not because they've absorbed marrow, but because they've supported marrow. They've been a basis le davar hasu, and therefore they get classified together with the other parts of the animal that become notar. And, uh, and based on the Rashi in, 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 in Chumash, the um, Mordechai, and so is the Halacha, decides to classify bone with metals. And interesting, they don't go to science. They don't say, let's get the, 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 the chemists in and ask them, does bone absorb or doesn't it? How does bone behave? That's not how Halacha works. Halacha works is where do we, where does Halacha classify? Have we got proofs from the Gemara and from the Rishonim that will indicate to us whether this belongs to the earthenware category or it belongs to the metal category? And we have a Machloikis in Rishonim, but we pass like the Mordechai that it belongs to the metal category. <laughs>